0: Over the last few months, there seems to have been a new crisis somewhere in the world practically every day. Although the impulse to stay on top of what's happening is understandable, research has found that being subjected to a constant stream of negative stories can lead to increased stress and burnout. So we have decided to use this week's Please Explain segment as a kind of public service and look into an activity that can help combat stress, anxiety, and even depression. Running. Running has been called magical because it can alleviate so many issues in our bodies and minds. And joining us now is Vibar Cregan-Reed, a senior lecturer in English and environmental humanities at the University of Kent, and author of Footnotes, How Running Makes Us Human. It's published by St. Martin's Press. Welcome to our show. Hello. Uh, and uh, uh, Our audience is invited, of course, to join into this conversation. If you have a question about running or want to share your own story about how running has helped you in some way, you can give us a call at 212-433-9692, write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. So, Vibar, are you a serious runner?
1: Uh, well, it depends what you mean by serious. But yes, I, I mean I'm a serious runner insofar as I really, really love uh, doing it. But um, I'm not, a, I'm not a talented runner, shall we say?
0: Didn't you have a, an uncle who was a famous runner?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, my, uncle, um, my uncle ran under two names, so um, his, his, his real name was Jim Cregan, which is where the Cregan in my name comes from, um, but he also ran, um, so he was an Irish runner, but he also ran for England, or for Britain rather, under the name uh, Jim Hogan. Um, Why did he uh, change his name? He he was under the impression that he couldn't run under the same name uh, for two different countries, which was a, it turned out was a completely mistaken impression. But yeah, so Jim Cregan in Ireland, Jim Hogan oh, in good. Britain.
0: Why do you consider yourself an untalented runner?
1: because I think it 's because I like doing the sorts of running that um, is recreational, so lots of um, lots of runners are like me. I think there might even be more runners like me than uh, there are competitive runners, but lots of um, uh, lots of running books are by you know by very talented runners who can run. You know, hundred-mile races or run a marathon in two hours, something. And I can't do either of those things. But um, I, I think I'm a better than, an, an, you know, compared to the average person, I'm certainly a, a better runner. But um, I'm more interested in the sort of quality of experience that I can get from running, rather than the speed with which I can um, speed with which I can do it.
0: Did you begin to videotape yourself running uh, in hopes of improving
1: the way you ran? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 48 now, and uh, so I've been running on and off for uh, I'm not sure how long, but 25 or maybe 30 years. Um, and in my uh, early 30s, I I, I I needed running really, really badly. I was I was writing, um, I was living out in the countryside in in, um, in Sussex in the south of England. And um, I realised that I was spending all my time sitting down. I was I was working on a PhD thesis, at the time, which means you spend hours and hours either at a computer or or reading. Um, and then in the um, evenings, I would I would watch TV or I would go to the cinema. Um, and so I started, um, I started running, I'd not run since school really, uh, and I started running, but I was, um, I would always get injured and, and eventually I went to see, um, I went into a sort of cycle of physiotherapy that I think most runners or many runners would recognize. And yeah, eventually, I mean, it was the early days of, of video technology, but I was videoed in, in slow motion from behind while I was running. And of course, I thought I looked like Matthew Bourne or something uh, when I was running. And actually, no, I look like a, a drunken octopus. <laughs> and I looked, yeah, I looked terrible. But it, it, yeah, it taught me a lot about what I was doing and what I thought I was doing.
0: You have to get yourself under more physical control. But couldn't you have done those things? the reading and the watching television on a treadmill? Is a treadmill not really a good way to run?
1: Uh, well, I think um, as time goes on, I'm, I'm working on another book at the moment, which is about what modern life is is doing to our bodies. And actually, if you want to sit and watch TV, doing it on a treadmill is probably much, much, much better for us than than just sitting on that that, uh, that, uh, that city or that sofa. Um, but running on a treadmill you know i I don't i don't get it really so um would you like me to tell you where the treadmill came from of course yeah so the treadmill um that that many people many gym members you know pay you know a hundred dollars a month uh, for the pleasure of running on it was actually invented um as a uh, as a form of punishment for people in the early 19th century so after um, you know, Britain and the U.S. got into a bit of a scrap. Uh, the the British government didn't really know what to do with their prisoners anymore. They couldn't um, they couldn't uh, send them to the, the the other side of the Atlantic, and uh, they didn't want to put people to death for stealing a loaf of bread. So they wanted something that was that was more uh, measured. So they came up with this idea of uh, prisoners doing hard labour. Um, but they didn't want prisoners to derive any sense of satisfaction from their work, so they needed to find something that was tough, unpleasant, demeaning, and was um, and, and had no point, it had no use value whatsoever. And uh, yeah, so a farmer um, called William Cubit, uh, farming uh, engineer called William Cubit, came up with the idea of the, the treadmill, and it's not changed all that much. It but looks a lot nicer now, but it's not changed all that much. But didn't they, so they miscalculate
0: they because many people find running on a treadmill to be very satisfying?
1: They they do, and you know what? If they do, good luck to them. <laughs> uh, and it, Anybody that is uh, that is uh, uh, found a way to um, to, to to work the sort of um, the stillness out of their bones. Uh, uh, anybody that's found a way to do that, then keep doing it. And if the treadmill does it for you, then then by all means uh, step on and and uh, press an incline, press a speed, and, and you're away. But for me, um, as an academic, we're always we're always wanting to look behind the curtain we always want to know what's going on with things and and i was sure that there was something strange about the treadmill and yeah there really was
0: Uh, getting back to the videotaping what did you learn about the way you were running Uh, do most people run in incorrectly
1: yeah i mean it's 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 very, very difficult. Um, it's a very difficult question, really. Most people, I mean, most people when they start running, um, the sad fact is, yes, they do run incorrectly. Most of us, what do they know, do wrong? Feels, well, they go too fast. So most people think that running is what you do when you've when when you know the bus is about to pull away from the stop and you and you need to get there as quickly as you can and. and you know, if you do a 100-metre dash or something, carrying your bags and with your coats on, you f- you feel like you're going to be sick at the end of it. It's now a horrible me. thing. Um, and I think when most beginners head out for the first time or on those first few runs, either they go um, too fast and they just find it really unpleasant and so they, they stop, or um, they do too much. And no new runner ever gave up because they did too little. Almost
0: everybody does too much in those first few weeks. My guest is Vibar Gregan-Reed, Senior Lecturer of English and Environmental Humanities at the University of Kent. He has written a book called Footnotes, How Running Makes Us Human. It is published by St. Martin's Press in the United States. This is wmyc wmyc.org I'm Leonard Lopate. You talk about connections between running and creativity. Uh, really?
1: Yeah, you're not a runner, I'm guessing.
0: Uh, not really. I'm the one who runs for the bus.
1: <laughs> I think most runners uh, would listen to your question and go, "Of course, um, yeah." It's basically um, it's the, the the idea of creating an environment where you might be able to be creative. So you can't you can't create creativity in in somebody, but you can sort of create the soil in which creativity might might grow. Um. And all of the things that running does for us, and it does many, many, many things. But one of the things that it does for us is, it, is, it, is, it, is it sort of clears out the, the 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 dead wood of the brain. So if you're um, stressed, and your limbic system, which is our uh, the dinosaur brain that we have tucked away right back at the top of the spine, if your limbic, limbic system is telling you that you're you're worthless, nobody likes you, what you're doing isn't worthwhile, if you uh, get out of your chair and do any kind of complex motor um, uh, motor action. Um, resources in in the brain are basically competitive. So um, if you start doing something else, you will li- you're literally draining energy away from the limbic system, and so you will automatically feel less stressed. What that also does is, what the running also does is, is it changes the way that blood is moving around the brain because it's, it's, um, re- um, uh, it's, uh, it's required in different parts of the brain. And it means that if you're stuck with a particular problem, it means that the, the sort of neurochemistry that's surrounding that problem changes. Um, so this is why when people are struggling with some sort of issue or something they need to solve it's often when they're in the shower or something Mm -hmm. it's often when they're doing something else that it that it um that it comes to them i mean looking at nature yeah well being in nature is is wonderful but i mean if you think of archimedes getting into the bath Mm. you know and he said eureka you know and he'd he'd solved his problem but being in nature is a particularly potent way to encourage um mental well-being and also creativity so
0: you Um, would like to run in nature Rather than Ideally, in the city
1: yeah. um, well, you know I live in a city i live in I live in London, which is a big big city, and i live on i don 't live on the the outskirts, but you know I can see them from here
0: well you can um, run in Regent park
1: yeah well i do I, I sometimes run all the way into central London, which is about eight or ten miles and and run round Hyde Park or or Regent's Park, which is a l- lovely thing to do but um uh, yeah. So when I was doing research for the book, um, I found some guys at the University of Michigan who, were, who had worked on um, the ways in which uh, the environment has um, an impact on our um, mental processes. It's a discipline called environmental psychology. These guys were amazing. Um, but they told me that. Um, so we get all of these um, benefits from being in nature, but the main one being is is it, it being around, uh, being in or around a green space, allows our brains to to rest. It allows our brains to to, to, to rest, so they can restore and get their get their get their uh, get their strength back. Um, so. Yeah, but, uh, nature is an incredibly potent thing, but it doesn't need to be, you know, you don't need to go, go into the Rocky Mountains to get it. The guys in Michigan told me that, you know, all you need is a bit of grass and some trees, anything that will encourage a sort of, um, um, well, their term was a sort of soft fascination with the environment is, is very good for helping to get our um, tired brains back online.
0: We, I have invited callers. Our number here is 212-433-9692. You can also write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where I handle is at Leonard Lopate. And before we proceed with some more of my questions, I thought I'd bring Geraldine from Darien, Connecticut, into this conversation. Hi, Geraldine.
2: Hi, Geraldine. Hi, Leonard. <laughs> um, so thank you for taking my call Actually, we we met at a festival of French cinema recently. Uh-huh. I don't know if you recall. Of course so, I do. He, yes. I was listening to the show, and I really called in immediately because I took on running this year, and I'm 46. And uh, I never thought I could run, and I, I really... Um, uh, like your your guest is uh, telling, I can see the benefits immediately. And so uh, I started in April. Uh, I run a 10K in Central Park uh, with a friend, uh, a woman race. And actually, I'm going to run uh, on Sunday, 8K in Central Park.
0: Now, is it important mm. that you're engaged in competitive running, Geraldine? Does that motivate you um, more?
2: Maybe, because I never did it before because I thought it it was boring and uh, I'm not very sportive otherwise. I do some yoga and some hiking in the summer, but that's it. Uh, And so, yeah, maybe the competitive uh, and in New York City, it's so beautiful and uh, it's empowering. And um, yeah, running with... All this crowd, uh, it, it it it's great. It feels great.
0: Do you ever experience a runner's high? Um, yeah,
2: maybe not. And my goal is to run a half marathon, so maybe I will experience a runner's high. Um, but uh, yeah, it's always hard to start, and after a couple of miles, uh, it's kind of. Um, you don't think of anything and it comes naturally.
0: Yeah. Geraldine, thank you so much for calling us. Uh, Vibar, can you talk a bit about the runner's high? Uh, is that because of endorphins? It's,
1: of is and it sort of isn't. Um, uh, thanks, Geraldine. So running um, uh, 10Ks, are they're a lovely, lovely distance. Um, and you shouldn't be too far away from um, runner's highs. So there are several things that happen with runner's highs. What, one thing that you need to do is you need to go fairly long. So it's quite difficult for beginners to get runner's highs. But if you're doing 8Ks and 10Ks, um, you should now be at the point when you should at least be flirting with one another. So so, um, what you need to do in order to get runners high, then, uh, some runners don't get them at all because they run really, really hard. They go, um, they go all out. Um, but runners highs, it seems, uh, kick in, in, in actually when we we're only at about sort of 60 to 70% of our effort. So, on uh, longer or, and slower runs, you're more likely to get them. But there's, uh, yeah, you asked about endorphins. So for years, you know, ever since the the kind of um, exercise boom in the the 1980s, we've been hearing about endorphins. Well, they're really natural
0: opiates. To some degree, we're drugging ourselves, aren't we?
1: (laughs) Um, I mean, endorphin literally means, um, you know, homemade morphine. Uh It's... um, uh, so and it, it does all sorts of things. Yes, we are literally uh, uh, drugging ourselves, and vet, you know, a few people do get addicted as well. Um, and you can do. get a hangover. <laughs> the hangover is from the running, Leonard, not from oh. the, <laughs> not from the endorphins.
0: I was worried um, about becoming addicted to, to endorphins.
1: <laughs> but there is um, the system that's activated in the brain um, when a runner's high um, hits you. Uh, is called the endocannabinoid um, uh, system, uh, and cannabinoid, you know, is, is is from cannabis. It's the same, the mm-hmm. same sort of euphoric, um, uh, relaxing effect that it has.
0: What does running do to the body? How does it affect your muscles and your cardiovascular system?
1: Um, well, someone should write a book about that. Um, it's a, it's a, that's, a, that's a really, really good question. It does lots of things. You know, it strengthens our muscles and our tendons and our ligaments. It builds bone density, which is really, you know, it's really, really important. As we get older, our bone density naturally um, diminishes. But any sort of weight-bearing exercise will encourage the bones to keep remaking themselves stronger and stronger so exercises like swimming and cycling they're wonderful for um for our um for our, for our hearts and for our lungs they're fantastic for a, um aerobic fitness but because they're not weight-bearing um if you become a weekend warrior and all you do is cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle your bone density the bone density in your in your well most of your body in fact will be diminishing um, so running is really, really great for maintaining bone density and and uh, muscle strength and tendon and ligament strength. Well, but, but it also, it also
0: can develop, lead to serious knee problems.
1: It can't actually. Uh, there's been, um, people do report um, knee problems, but actually you don't, again, this is another complicated question, but you don't really get, um, usually people that run have uh, stronger and better knees than people that don't. The times when you pick up an injury, uh, if you're a runner and you pick up an injury, the injury might express itself when you're out running on a hill somewhere, but you probably picked it up when you were watching, you know, you were on a Netflix binge um, two nights ago and you did nothing. It's Our bodies are becoming programmed to a mode of sedentary life um, that when we all of a sudden take them out onto the hills and start running with them. The bodies are in shock. And that tends to be why we get knee or ankle or um, hip or back problems, because of the life we lead, not because of the exercise that we do.
0: We have to take a little break. We'll be back with more of today's Please Explain with Vibar and reed a, a reader in English and Environmental Humanities, University of Kent. He also has a blog called psychogeography.com. And uh, a previous book that has nothing to do with running, uh, about Victorian culture, called *Discovering Gilgamesh*. His book footnotes *How Running Makes Us Human* is published by St. Martin's Press. And we will continue after we take a little break. Our number here is two one two four three three nine six nine two. If you want to join the conversation. And we are back with Vibar Cregan-Reed. His book, Footnotes, How Running Makes Us Human, published by St. Martin's Press. We're talking about running on today's Please Explain. And I'm wondering about that subtitle. Uh, We are the only animals that that move the way we do. Uh, Do we run differently than all other animals? And is that significant?
1: Uh, uh, Yes and yes um i uh, again as part of the research for the book, I went out to um a running laboratory uh, lab- laboratory in you can uh, say Boston. laboratory
0: we say that in the united we pronounce it that way in the united states
1: i'm not sure why like. <laughs> <laughs> yes okay um so i went to a, a, a running lab in um in um in Boston called the Spaulding uh, uh, running center which was uh, absolutely t- terrific and they told me lots taught me lots about biomechanics and about how we move and how they think we're supposed to move but also while I was in Boston I met a guy uh, from Harvard uh, um, a genius really he's uh, an anthropologist um, a paleoanthropologist called Daniel Lieberman and uh, about 10 years ago he um, And uh, some of his colleagues published a study looking at the ways in which our skeleton have um, evolved over, you know, a couple of million years. And um, they saw that um, lots of the ways that our bodies have changed from previous versions of, of humans, um, makes it advantageous to us for us to run the main one is the Achilles tendon. Everybody knows you know We all know our the Achilles tendon um, Other apes and um, other primates don't have Achilles tendons um, And you don't even need an Achilles tendon to walk um, It's only there so that we can um, store a great deal of energy when we land uh, That can then be returned when we spring off. It's there because because, we
0: were, because we're runners. Because running was a basic part of the way people lived their lives. In fact, some people still do uh, when, they, when they hunt, when the, they uh, do all sorts of things just to, to survive. Uh, I, I imagine the early humans uh, just did an awful lot of running. In fact, that's probably part of how they wound up going from Africa to the rest of the world.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, you know, it means we have lots of advantages over other animals when it comes to the way our body's built and the way that we move. Um, one of the main things being, of course, the, our ability to, to sweat. You know, we're all very uncomfortable about how much we sweat, but actually if we didn't sweat, we wouldn't be at the top of the food chain. There wouldn't be 7 billion, billion of us on the, on the planet because we have this incredibly efficient um, cooling system and also because we stand upright it means when the sun is hottest it hits a lot less of our bodies so when we are trying to you know get some get some get get, get a meal for our for ourselves or for our tribe if we're chasing down a, a quadruped not only do, would a, a gazelle, for example, not be able to lose heat as efficiently as we do, but because of the way, because they've got four legs, it means more of their body is exposed to the heat of the sun as well. So we have we have quite a few advantages. So inevitably, it means that yeah, we did. We used to run probably um, five miles. Five miles a day, uh, you know. um, I'm sure we'd run some days a lot more and some days less. But yeah, we were, we were regular
0: runners. Early humans, of course, probably ran barefoot. Although uh, footwear is a fairly early development, Uh, do you think it's better to run barefoot or with running shoes?
1: Um, again that 's you know there 's no simple um, answer to that question um, shoes um in they've recognized uh, they 've found evidence of shoe wear in Neanderthals from about forty thousand <coughs> excuse me from about forty thousand years ago so shoes have been around for a long time um, but um like spongy comfortable running shoes are are really very very new so if you imagine the history of our species as a as a swimming pool so um at one end uh is uh, the the birth of the human um the first sort of uh homo sapiens that is born about two million years ago and then at the other end is the present day um if you go along the length of that uh, length of that swimming pool you'd have to get to within about a quarter of a hair's breadth um to get to the part where we start running in comfortable shoes for the rest of that time, for all of that time, uh, before it, we we ran barefoot or in, or in shoes that had no cushioning whatsoever. So, on the one hand, I think it's better to run without if the environment permits because it's, a much, it's just a much, much nicer experience. My uncle did it. My uncle was a barefoot marathon runner. Um, he wore shoes and, and sometimes, uh, but mostly went barefoot. He learned to run when he was barefoot. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that our, the environment that we've built uh, you know, in the last 200 years since the Industrial Revolution is really quite harsh to, um, to bare feet. So um, myself, I have shoes that have elastic laces, so I can, wear, uh, I can get a bit of cushioning when I want it, and then when the environment permits, I slip them off. And that is without doubt my favorite kind of running,
0: barefoot running. My guest on today's Please Explain is Vybar, V-Y-B-A-R-R, Cregan Reed, C-R-E-G-A-N hyphen R-E-I-D. His book, Footnotes, How Running Makes Us Human. Let's take a few more calls. Peter from Cranford, New Jersey. You're on the air. Pete?
3: Hi, thanks. for Hi, I'm here. Thanks for taking my call. So I am 45, and I used to run quite a bit when I was uh, in my teens and early 20s, but then... Um, the demands of everyday life kind of took that away from me i would like to get back into it but i know i don't have the same body i did 25 years ago um do you have any advice to a uh, middle-aged guy looking to get back into it how i can uh, enjoy it and not uh, risk injuring myself
1: uh, I do. Hi, Peter. I do. I do have advice. There's lots of advice. There's lots of good books about starting to run. Um, I would say that the main things are um, uh, don't do too much and don't go too fast. Those are the two things that get that get new runners injured. Um, in the UK, there's a very, very popular um, um, sort of training schedule called the, the couch to 5K. I'm sure you have it in the US as well. But you could get one of those, you could get an app for your phone or something like that that would allow you to um, time uh, your runs to about 30 seconds and then you walk for two minutes. So get hold of one of those apps. But the other really important thing to remember is that uh, as the weeks go by, the the app ramps up the amount of running that you do. And if at any moment you think, hmm, I'm not sure I can do this, then don't. What you do, just go back and repeat the week that you've just done. And the reason for this is um, there isn't really any science behind these couch to 5k apps. There's, there's, um, uh, they are great. They're really, really good at doing what they do. But only you are going to know what's best for you.
0: So, should, should we adjust our on. eating habits?
1: No. No. We already eat far too much in the West. <laughs> Uh, I think you should only really adjust your eating habits when you get over about um, sort of 20 to 25 miles a week. Other than that, you should just...
0: And what would you suggest that we eat that would help us as runners?
1: um, uh, Real food. (laughs) Uh, So, um, you know, real food. Cut down on
0: sugar or sugar good?
1: Cut down on sugar, oh God. Well, I'd love to be able to cut down on sugar. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, r- real food, food that, that when you read the ingredients, you can imagine all the things <laughs> on, a, on a shelf. Um, uh, so real food, simple, you know, yeah, simple. Uh, complex carbohydrates, ideally. And um, chicken, chicken is very good.
0: Paul from Long Beach, you're on the air.
1: Hey there, I want to tell
3: you that I very much enjoy this. I can't wait to get hold of the book. And it supports everything I've been doing. I've been a competitive runner. I've been in organized running for 58 years. I've run a couple of hundred wow. marathons, and that literally has wow. taken me around the world. But I figured out at one point that I wouldn't live three times as long if I ran 100 miles a week, and I've run hundreds of 100 mile weeks. Now I'm running at 30, 40 miles a week. I'm not going to live three times as long if I get it up to 300. But uh, the, sh- the foot was designed to run over a soft-yielding surface, the savannas of Africa. And that's not what we run on. So I don't think I would be running were it not for the advances we've had in running shoes over the last 30 years.
0: And what do your feet look like? Are they they okay? Are they normal? Or have they been affected by the running?
3: um, If anything, I used to have more of a hammer toe when I was a young man or in my teens, and that straightened out. So does it look, yeah, they're cosmetically better today than they were before I started running. One of the things that was mentioned here is about how you run or how hard you run or the like. And what kept me injury-free for years, like over the last 40 years, I'd say I only had one zero-mileage week, Uh, as opposed to my friend uh, Ron Hill from Great Britain, who (laughs) who went over 50 years without a zero-mileage day. Yeah, in, including being in a car accident where he broke his sternum, and as he wrote to me in the Christmas car that year, fortunately I already had in my run for the day.
0: By <laughs> bye, you that know Ron day. Hill?
1: Um, no, no, I know I know lots of people that know Ron Hill. He's a he's a he's a legend uh, here. Uh, my uncle knew him very well. And you're doing very well indeed. Paul, you sound like you're a fantastic runner. Um, if you're still doing 30, 40 miles a week uh, now, that's absolutely terrific. You sound like you're still marathon, marathon fit. And I think you're right. I think lots of... While I think lots of environments are, you know, are not great to run on uh, barefoot, I think um, smooth concrete is actually one of, the, one of the nicer ones. So our feet our feet are... Designed to run on um, uh, 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 softer surfaces, but they can cope with hard surfaces. There are hard, very hard surfaces in the, you know, in Africa. Hardened clay is as hard as concrete is, and our bodies are really, really, really well adapted at dealing with the, the impacts from foot running rather than from from uh, running onto your heels but you sound like you're doing absolutely great paul
0: thank you so much for calling us paul we have very little time left and i want to get tom's call in because i think it's important tom from long island you're on the air
2: yeah hi i just wanted to ask the guest about um to
1: maybe comment on the bot i see a lot of runners um in, out there who seems to be disconnected their upper body from their lower body They don't, you know, their body's all locked up.
3: The upper body's all locked up and tight, and and they seem to think that they only run with their legs.
0: So I guess you're asking for tips for overall form when we're running. Vibar, in a minute or so? Uh,
1: Yeah, uh, Tom is absolutely right. The the upper body is... is I was going to say it's just as important as the lower body. It, it's not, but it is really, really important. Um, we all know that in modern life, are, uh, we all hear about the fact that we have a, a weak core. And basically, there, there are there are two, um, there are a couple of scientific laws that have been around for you know hundreds of years. One is about bones, and the other one is about muscles. And it's basically both um, both laws are about how if you don't use it, then you you lose it. Um, so if we sit down all the time what, what, one of the things it does is it disengages our our, our core muscles all our abdominal muscles uh, get used to the fact that we sit down and so they they become weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until it gets to the point that when we try to stand up correctly or when we try to go out running we feel like we're doing fine but actually our spine isn't getting the support that it needs from these abdominal muscles and you know, my gosh, the spine really needs help and protection more than any other part of our body, really. Right. Um, so the spine is quite good. Uh, we have quite for the uh, for Vibar, we have weight. to
0: leave it here, unfortunately. Okay. We've run out of time. Vibar, Gregan, okay. reed Thank
1: you very much indeed, Leonard.
0: He is a senior lecturer in English and Environmental Humanities at the University of Kent, and he's been our guest on today's Please Explain His book, Footnotes How Running Makes Us Human, is published by St. Martin's Press.